Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. Grab your pen and paper, because here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. How you doing, New Hope? We are so, so glad that you are here today. Man, we are coming off of an epic weekend, and no exaggeration, the best by far uh, insight leadership conference we have had. You're sitting now where this place was standing room only, packed for two days straight, and God showed up and blew our minds. And I just thank you for your support, your prayer support, your, your willingness as a community of faith to pour into other leaders. It was awesome. Hey, I want to welcome all the campuses. I'm talking about Garner, Sanford, Columbia, NCCIW, Coffee House, Hillsboro, Internet, Television, Central. I might have missed one. I don't think so. But come on, at all the campuses, celebrate. North Raleigh, North Raleigh, North Raleigh, North Raleigh. I did miss one and I just got them. Man, I love that North Raleigh community. Okay, so um, two things. Everybody say revelation. Everybody say breaking the code. Now everybody take out your worship sheet. Open it up. You're going to need to get those teaching notes ready in just a moment anyway. And everybody take this card. Revelation. Hold it up. And let's get the winds of Pentecost blowing in here. All the campuses. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You hope? What do you do with this card? You go hand this card to somebody. Somebody you love. Somebody you can't stand, but you still love because you're a believer. A neighbor that gets on your last nerve. A person in the cubicle beside you. Even the most unbelieving people in our culture are interested in this mysterious book that they've heard taught and uh, maybe even read themselves called the book of Revelation. We will not do a series in the near future more uh, outreach oriented than this series. Some of you are like, well, I need more than one card then. Yes, you do. We got plenty of them scattered around the rotundas and the lobbies at the campus. You got one in your worship sheet. If you'll hand five out, go get five. If you'll hand 10 out, go get 10. And remember, don't just, be, don't just be an inviter. Be a bringer. Be a bringer. Let's go get this church. Who's fired up about the book of Revelation? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I've been studying and praying for this series for like six months now. And I am so ready for it. But that's next week. That's next week. Let me tell you about this week. And uh, most of you know that uh, Pastor Derwin Gray was... Uh, uh, one of our guest speakers here at the Insight Conference, um, Pastor Derwin, is going to preach today. You are in for a treat. This brother can preach, and uh, I just love him. I, I got to tell you, he, he said it yesterday, and it's just so true. And we're, and we're just going to be unashamed about it. He said it first, so now I'm just going to come right behind him. We got a bromance going on. <laughs> I love this dude, man. We, we hung out last night for a couple hours after the Insight Conference, and... Uh, you know, when you ever met somebody and you immediately know that there is a kindred spirit? Now, that didn't happen this weekend. This happened probably six to nine months ago. But to be with him again this weekend, man, he, he's the same age as me, though he looks a lot better than me. We're 44. When I get to heaven, I'm going to get biceps and a chest like him. But not until then. Um, but, you know, same age, same passion, God's favor and kindness upon his ministry like it has been upon New Hope. He's even given me a new nickname that some of you are going to like because you've been wondering what to call me for a while. So now you'll probably hear about a nickname. Let me tell you a little bit about my brother, my friend. Um, he went to Brigham Young University, born in Texas, that, that place that's not even really a part of the United States. You know what I mean? That's separate from the, from the, from the union. Born you is true, isn't it? Born in Texas and... Um, Went to BYU, Brigham Young University, to a uh, Mormon school, uh, which, as he told me yesterday, is, it's a white Mormon school, so he's like the only brother there. Um, played great football there, and then uh, got drafted to the best football team in the league. You know how I feel about this. The Indianapolis Colts. Played there, and you know, it's not, not, not any of those other teams. You can, no, no, no. Colts. But then he, then he went to the Charlotte Panthers, and by the way, he met his wife, uh, Vicki, at Brigham Young. And uh, they went to Colts, then he went to the Charlotte Panthers, and um, then he left to make his life be a prophetic, anointed proclamation 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's hand is all over this man's life. He's written several books. Um, we're going to be selling this one. Barnes & Noble is with us. So I know the Resource Center is usually on the right, but Barnes & Noble is going to be on the left today. You can go get his book today. I highly recommend this book. And let me tell you something else. We haven't even talked about this, but I'm going to say it. He's got a new book coming out called HD Leader. Dude, why you got to take that title? Because like, I, I, wish, I, I wish God would give me that title. That is a good title, HD Leader. Check it out. It's like on the top-selling pre-order list in the nation right now. It's, it's HD Leader. Great title, but the content's going to be even greater. Um, he's a great man of God. He's working on his doctorate right now. Just got an honorary doctorate. He just texted me this week and said, dude, I got an honorary doctorate. And I was like, yeah, but you, you're still going to do it the hard way, right? I did. I did. I, could, I put my work in. I'm like, dude, I, I didn't say this to him. I'm like, dude, I, I'm not too crazy about honorary doctorates. Just, just keep, keep working. Keep working. And he's in it. How, how, many, how long you got left? Halfway there. He's halfway toward his doctorate. And, uh, man, we are just so blessed. And so I could go on and on about my friend, my brother, but... um. I want you to do what we always do. And just because you're watching this on video, listen, hey, cameras, campuses, listen, do not uh, think that just because you're there, you don't give it up. Let's honor this man of God who is in the house of God, preaching the word of God. Let's give it up for Pastor Durbin Gray. Woo! Love you, man. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, so Pastor Benji and I, we, we do have a bromance. It's, it's very, very healthy. Um, and so I, I have given him a nickname. It's uh, Vanilla Chocolate. <laughs> Vanilla on the outside, chocolate on the inside. Um, but, uh, it, you know, there, there are... There are people that God brings into your life during certain seasons of your life that you need them and they need you. And, and so there's been a just a, just a real good, no, not good, a great connection. And, and this isn't just preacher talk because I haven't been saved long enough to know you're supposed to fake stuff. And um, so I, I just appreciate your transparency and also your example um, the fact that you have um, not only a dynamic communicator as your lead pastor, but you have a, a theologian and a scholar. And that makes the devil tremble when you can have a theologian and a scholar. A and he's cool, too. <laughs> I mean, wow. I'm sure his wife is the, the, the best part of you. Yeah. She helps you out quite a bit. But thank you for your friendship. Yeah, let's give it up for her. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, we're going to go ahead and get started because if you haven't noticed, I'm black and time don't mean nothing to me. It's like, you got 40 minutes. I'm like, and? What does that mean? So, let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Uh, Papa, in the name of Jesus, that sweet, beautiful, precious healing name and in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit whether we've walked with you for many years or whether we're here and we don't even know why other than we have a silent cry in the depths of our whole our souls whether we're in the midst of rebellion addiction brokenness confusion or doubt you meet us in this space your conquering and loving grace. Lord, may I decrease and may you increase. And I pray above all else that we would have a contact with Jesus, that we would look into his eyes of grace and just be overwhelmed, that we would be wrecked and rebuilt. And for those of us who are yet to discover what your grace is, may the eyes of our hearts be open that we would see him. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So um, all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us are defined by labels. Now, the obvious labels are the clothes we wear. 
So I grew up really, really poor. And so I shopped at hand-me-downs. If you don't know what hand-me-downs is, it's your cousin that's four years older than you. He hands you down his clothes. Okay. So I figured when I get some money in my NFL days that I would buy nice clothes because you hear this, the clothes, quote-unquote, make the man. No, it don't. It, it just makes you look good on the outside. But on the inside, there's still a lot of stuff that's happening. For some of us, our labels are where we live. For some of you, oh, Lord, it's the smartphone you use. And all you iPhone worshipers, don't try to convert me from my Samsung Galaxy S6. Whoa, I'm in the right place. And God is good. Well, I see you over there to the left. I see you to the right. I see my brother. He's clearly in sight. Well, yeah. For some of the white people, I just scared. I really don't preach like that. I really don't preach like that. <laughs> so, we we define ourselves by labels. Some of the labels are, are how we look. For so long, I defined myself by the label of a football player. But sadly, though, many of us are wearing a life-destroying label, orphan. I already know what you're thinking, but you're going, well, well Pastor Derwin, I didn't, I didn't grow up in an orphanage. And I think the picture of an orphan that we usually see is a beautiful picture, particularly for many of you. You you sailed across the ocean. You, you flew across the ocean and, and you went into an orphanage. You said, I want that child and I want to love that child. And that's such a, a beautiful picture of what Jesus done for us, that he transcended time and space, left heaven, and came to earth and says, I want you. But the orphan that I'm talking about is growing up with parents. And no matter how good those parents are, were, they still fall short of the ultimate parent, God the Father. And many of us are walking around with this label called orphan. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, um, I wrote a blog, and I got a response to my blog, and it started this way. It said, enough, with a big exclamation point. It says, I've been quiet about this topic long enough. I cannot, nor will I hold it in anymore. So at that point, I figured that they didn't like my blog. So I'm going to read what, it, what the rest of it says. It says, when people like you call God Papa or Daddy, that can be extremely hurtful for people who've experienced abuse at the hands of their father. So in the future, when you use the word Papa or Daddy for God, just know that it can cause hurt. And they signed it anonymous. When we don't know who our Heavenly Father is, we do live anonymous lives trying to find a label to give us an identity. It might be mom. By the way, build your marriage so that it outlasts when your kids leave. Some of us build our identities on our careers. We build them on all types of things because we're anonymous and we're, we're trying to find someone or something to define us. So I wrote anonymous back. And... I said, dear Anonymous, I feel you. I, I really do because my father left when I was six. I get you. However, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and in the letters of Paul and all throughout the Bible, God is referred to as Papa, Abba, equivalent to, to Papa. That's an Aramaic word, and it's, and it's a picture of like a, a father reaching down to pick up his child. So my daughter went off to college. Man, fellas, when you have a little girl, oh my gosh. No one's ever good enough. And I mean, I remember when she was little. And my daughter would call me Boppy. I'm not Puerto Rican. <laughs> so she would, she would lift up her hand. She'd go, Boppy. And I'd go, ah, mija. 
I am from San Antonio, Texas, and my best friends are Mexican, so I know a little bit of Spanish. But the papi and the abba is, is God reaching down to, to pick you up and to put you near his heart. Um, the word abba, uh, it's like heart and love. It's intimacy. Into me you, you see. So a, a, as I finish my response, I, I said, anonymous, I cannot and will not allow the pain of my past to destroy the happiness that I now have knowing God as my papa. I suspect that some of us right now are being held hostage to a past that keeps victimizing us. Instead of living in the past accomplishments of Jesus because he was victimized to set us free from our pain. Orphans have some characteristics, and, and, and as I was writing my book, and this is like one page of my book, um, Limitless Life, it, it, um, these are characteristics that I've experienced in interviewing people in 15 years of counseling. Um, orphans feel anonymous, like, who, who am I? When you don't have someone to speak life over you, who are you? I never had a dad to say, son, this is how you honor and treat women. In the midst of peer pressure, this is how you stand strong because this is who you are. You not only feel anonymous, but abandoned. So one of my favorite colors is yellow. And for years, I really owned nothing that was yellow. And I was like, why is yellow my favorite color? And I don't own anything yellow. Well, on my sixth birthday, right before my dad left, he bought me a yellow bike. And even now, as a pastor of a church that looks like this, beautiful and multi-ethnic and multi-generational, I drive up and I go, who's going to abandon me next? Because my whole life experience was abandonment. My mom and dad were both teenagers when they had me. They both dealt with some deep soul wounds of themselves and so they were babies trying to take care of babies but thank God for a grandmother that protected me but then there were uncles and cousins and I remember being a little dude and I love to fish matter of fact Pastor Benji and I we exchanged fishing pictures I sound like Barry White now <coughs> or Lou Rawls you'll never find doom 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 a gospel preacher, quite okay. <clears throat> I'm gonna need some water here for a minute. Um, but but so um, I would sit on the porch. Thank you, sir. I would sit on the porch and I would wait for people to show up, and they never would. And my grandmother, after several hours, would say, "Just come on in, baby." And so at age 13, I'm like, you know what? Screw people. No one's gonna hurt me but me. So I'm not gonna let you close enough to hurt me. Now, the reality is with that defense is when you close people out, it doesn't save you from being hurt. You just stay hurt and you hurt other people. And so that's why I lived my life because I didn't want to be abandoned. But then orphans feel afraid. Who's going to love me? Who, who's going who's gonna to want me? Some of the most insecure people you will ever meet are celebrities and professional athletes. You're only as good as your last movie. You're only as good as your last football game. And by the way, you guys are ruthless on Twitter towards college and professional athletes. All I have to say is this. They have tryouts for the NFL every spring. <laughs> Talking about. You play with more than this in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. They got tryouts every spring if you don't like what they're doing. But here's the thing, though. The NFL stands for not for long. And you know that one day they're going to hand you a pink slip. The most terrifying person in the NFL 
is a little guy that works in a front office who says, coach wants to see you and bring your playbook. And by the way, that's not much different from many of us. Somebody's going to bring you a pink slip. And you're afraid that that identity that defines you will be stripped away from you. I don't know who this is for, and this may be for, you know, a young woman in her early 20s that you think no one's ever going to love you, so you do whatever the guy who says he loves you wants you to do. But if he truly loves you, he wouldn't ask you to devalue yourself. If you always feel bad about yourself by being with him, he's not the one for you. Trust God. And it's better to be alone in a bed than to be alone in a bed with somebody. I'm going to read a quote from a pastor. I think he passed away now. And his name is Jack Frost. That's really his name. And he wrote these words, and they're very, very profound. Being a spiritual orphan causes us to live as if we don't have a safe and secure place in the Father's heart. We feel we have no place of, of affirmation, of protection, comfort, belonging, affection. Therefore, we become self-oriented, lonely, and inwardly isolated. We have no one from whom to draw godly inheritance. Therefore... We have to strive and achieve and compete and earn everything we get in this life, which leads to anxiety, fears, and frustrations. I read that and I was just arrested in my study. And I was like, man, this brother just read my spiritual email that was that was my whole life where i grew up at you had to be tough like this stuff this cyber bullying stuff and bully i'm like if i came home granny they talking about me should have been like people gonna talk about you the rest of your life you need the voice of truth to be greater than the voice of what other people are saying so, but you know what, though, y'all? It, it's time for a new label. Adopted. Adopted. On the count of three, would you say adopted with me? One, two, three. Adopted. <laughs> time for a new label. Because God, God, and, and when I say God, I mean the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For those of you who are yet to be followers of Jesus, the biblical narrative, the story about God's beauty and awesomeness, this God of love is revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus is God, the human face of God the Father, that God gives us his adopting love. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. I was so lost, I didn't even own a Bible. I was so not a Christian, I didn't even own a Bible. The first Bible that I owned was in 1994. I was with the Indianapolis Colts. We're playing the Washington Redskins. We're at a Marriott Hotel the night before the game. I opened up this drawer next to the bed, and I seen two Bibles. One was called the Book of Mormon. I knew that from BYU. I moved that from the side. Then there was another, then there was another Bible, and it was a funny Bible called Gideon's. And I said, you know what? I don't have a Bible. I'll steal this one. <laughs> you guys are laughing because I didn't know they put it there for you to take it. I was so not a Christian, I stole a free Bible and didn't feel bad about stealing the Bible. And the Bible says don't steal. However, that was a free gift, but I thought I was stealing it. So I didn't grow up in the church. Grew up poor, grew up on welfare, government cheese. At the age of 13, I realized that there was a way out of the hell that I was in. That salvation was football. I worked hard. No one outworked me. I wasn't one of those guys who was the biggest, the fastest, the best. But, man, once I got the idea of a work ethic, and in eighth grade, my middle school uh, football coach said, Derwin, if you keep working hard, you can get a scholarship. And I said, what kind of ship is that? <laughs> he goes, no, son, a scholarship. It means that you can go to college and they will pay for your education and you can play football. I was like, really? So that gave me a picture of the future. A vision of the future transforms what you do today. 
And so I started working really hard. I went to a great high school called Converse Judson. I didn't know that the coaches were Christians. All I knew is I wanted to be like them when I grew up. So I had a choice between two primary schools to get a scholarship. TCU, which is Texas Christian University, or Brigham Young University. And the brother chose to go to Brigham Young University. (laughs) BYU was a great experience. Uh, except for the first two weeks. I was like, where the, uh, where the black people? Ain't got no black people in Utah? I think when I went on my recruiting trip, they like flew some in. I don't know. I didn't see them when I got back. But in God's providence, in God's way of orchestrating this symphony called life, Going to BYU is one of the best things for me. Number one, I met my wife there. Number two, I learned to get along with people who are very different from me, which allowed me and prepared me to lead a church like this that's ethnically diverse. So God put me in an uncomfortable situation to make me comfortable around people who are vastly different than me. And I'm like a BYU legend. It is amazing. I go back there. I'm a rock star. Matter of fact, on Monday, my son and I are going to fly out there because they've asked me to come back to speak to the team. Like, I'm one of the greatest players that ever played at BYU. And so I'm, I, I, I want my son to know, I'm like, dude, I'm a big deal. Watch this. Okay. Well, anyway, back to the story. So, so me and my wife, we get married in college, get drafted to the NFL. By the third year in the NFL, I'm like, so this is it. So, so I worked this hard for this. Sure, I, I had a Lexus, but after about a week, it was just a car. Um, I didn't have to eat ramen noodles anymore. I could go to Ruth Chris, but you're like, okay, there's got to be more. And I looked in the mirror one night, and the fear that I had, I couldn't shake it. That one day they would say, you can't play anymore. What would I be? Just a dumb football player. What would I do? I couldn't get over the abandonment of my father. I'm like, how in the world, when your son is an NFL team captain, a college team captain, a high school team captain, you never see him play a game that drugs and alcohol are more important than your son? Man, I remember in high school working out going, I'm going to show you I can do it without you. I didn't do nothing. I just got money and was miserable. I treated people bad because you can't love people when you don't love yourself. You can have a nice house, but it ain't a home. Oh, I got married, but I would only let my wife get about this close because you're just going to leave like he did. You're, you're, You're wanting lives that people have that they don't want. Some of y'all are like, if I had that, you don't know what's going on on the inside just because somebody can dunk a basketball, sing a note, throw a spiral. They may have more money and you may have a lot more joy, which makes you richer. <clears throat> but God. One of the greatest statements in the Bible is but God. God has some big butts in the Bible. And he does not lie. (laughs) But God. So in 1993 when I was drafted, there was a guy on the team. Black dude from Miami, Florida. 6'2", 240 pounds. That's normal. He was an inside linebacker. That was normal. Every day after practice, he would take a shower. That's normal. But then he done something that was really unnormal. He, He would wrap a white towel around his waist and he would get his Bible. And he would walk through the locker room like this. Seriously, I don't make this up. So picture, 6'2", 240, white towel wrapped around his waist, a Bible, and he had one gold front. That means one gold tooth. And he'd go to my teammates' lockers and he'd say, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Now remember, I wasn't a Christian. So in my mind, I'm going, do you know you're half naked? So I asked the veterans on the team, I asked this guy named Jeff Harrod, 
I, I, I said, Jeff, what's up with the half-naked black men walking around talking about, do you know Jesus? That's it. They said, don't pay no attention to him. That's the naked preacher. <laughs> so his nickname was the naked preacher because he preached half-naked with his Bible. Crazy. So one day, I'm marinating in my locker after practice. I'm not bothering anybody. And I hear... And six foot two, 240 pounds of dark chocolate near nakedness is coming towards me <laughs> with this Bible. I'm like, oh no, here comes one of these Jesus freaks. My heart is beating. So I turn away like, maybe he'll pass me, maybe he'll pass me. And then I feel this on my back. And I turn around, and he's like, Ricky D. Gray, do you know Jesus? And I said what most people who don't know Jesus say, I said, I'm a good person. And he said, do you know Jesus? And I said, I'm a good person. I said, yo, man, look, look, I'm the first male in my family over the age of 20 not to have a drug problem or alcohol problem. I'm the first male in my family over the age of 20 not to be in jail or about to go to jail. I'm the first male in my family to not have a child outside of marriage. Therefore, I'm a good person. You know how prideful and arrogant that is? In order for me to say I was a good person, I did what Jesus said, don't do. I judged other people and said, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. So by saying that I was good, I was actually revealing that I was bad. The only time we should ever look down on somebody is when we are extending a hand to lift them up. So perhaps you're saying, I'm a good person because you're comparing yourself to people. But the naked preacher wrecked my grid. He showed me Romans 3.23 in the Bible. Now remember, I, I didn't know what that meant. But I was like, Romans 3.23, like gladiators going to come out somewhere? Like what is that? But he read the scripture that says we've all sinned and fall short of God's standard. Now I didn't know that sin meant to miss the mark. An archer would shoot an arrow. And if you missed the bullseye, it would say sin. Well, the bullseye is Jesus. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is love. Jesus is perfection. If you ain't a Christian, you even respect the way Jesus lived and his being and how he did what he did. If he's the standard, I'm not good then. And neither are you. So the naked preacher is breaking that down. So this brother spent five years working on me. That's how lost I was. Five years, man. Chasing me around the locker room naked. <laughs> so I began to have some injuries. I also began to recognize, hold on. I told a man that I'm going to love his daughter. But how could I love her when I didn't love me? And that began to eat away at me. The Spirit of God began to eat away at me and said, Derwin, what if someone treated your daughter the way you're treating their daughter? And I realized I tried to love her, but I didn't have the resources to love her because I didn't love myself. So five years of injuries and disappointments and accomplishments, and at the end of the day, you go, there's got to be more. August 2nd, 1997, fifth year in the NFL, Anderson College, Anderson, Indiana training camp. After lunchtime, I go to my dorm and uh, I use the phone. Now, back in the days when dinosaurs and mullets roamed the land, <laughs> the phones were connected to the wall with a string. I picked up the phone, pulled it off the wall, and I called my wife and I said, I, I want to be more committed to you. And I didn't really know what that meant other than I wanted to learn what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a husband. I wanted to know what that meant. I had no examples. I didn't find out that my grandparents were married until I was 17 years old. The first wedding I went to was my own. And then I said these words. I said, I want to be committed to Jesus. 
And the best way I can describe it is like this. For the first time in my life, I realized that someone loved me. Now, if you're a Christian, you hear God loves you and, and, and it doesn't do nothing to your heart, be very, very careful. Man, when I, when I found out that God loved me and he knew everything about me, the ugly, the horrific, that, that, that God loved me, and it, and it wasn't based on my 40-yard dash time. It wasn't based on my bench press. It wasn't based on my height and my weight. My whole life was built upon performance, 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 performance. It wasn't like God looked at my celestial game film and went, wow, Derwin, one day is going to be a decent preacher. One day he can help me. No, God looked at my game film, and it said, sinner in need of grace and God did not bring me to his team to perform for him God brought me into his family to love me God wants to love people the reality of hell was not what drove me to Jesus it was the reality of love I think more people are afraid of God's love than they are hell. Hell doesn't require you to change. Keep on going. Love requires you to change. When you realize you've been loved with a love that is unconditional, there is a response that changes you. I sat in that dorm room and I cried and I cried and I cried. And it was like the first time I had cried in years and years because I had been taught that when you cry, it's weak. But when Jesus came in, the floodgates opened. Check this out. Ephesians 1 5 in the New Living Translation. God decided... In advance. God doesn't love a future version of you. He loves the busted up, toe up, jacked up from the flow up you. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. How did he do it? By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. What is your picture of God? Like, like he's angry, yeah, you're my kid, but ah, I'm just so mad at you. Just waiting for you to mess up. That's not the picture of the Lord. On the cross, his anger and wrath was satisfied. He has a forever smile towards you. Even in the midst of your rebellion, because he sees the end and the beginning in one eternal glance of grace. Zephaniah 3.17 is a passage of scripture that I love. It's um, directed towards the nation of Israel. And it, and, it, and it says that God sings and dances over us. So when my kids were small. And I miss these days. Holy cow, I miss these days. Uh, daughter's 19. She's like a young adult. My son is, is 14, but he's taller than me. Size 14 shoes, 6'4 wingspan. Dude is a freak of nature. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like God was like, you are the human Thor. I mean, it's crazy. So, but, but, but when they were small, I would sing to them before they go to bed, right? Now, my son will still let me give him a kiss. I just can't do it around his homeboys. Right, I just can't do it around his homeboys. But when they were small, I remember holding my daughter, and I'd hold her close to me. Sometimes my wife couldn't get her to go to sleep, so it needed that papa arms, you know, snuggle them up. And I'd sing, "Jesus loves me, this I know, for the vibe." I mean, and then before you know it, that poor child is drenched in my tears. I mean, there was joy. And my love for my child was not predicated upon one day, daughter, you're going to do this for me. You're going to do this for me. You're going to do this for me. No, because of the essence of your being, I love you. Don't put the world's economy of love on God because his grace doesn't work that way. 
If God would love you any more than he does right now based on what you do, that negates what Jesus has done. Friends, if you know Jesus, God the Father sings and dances over you. Man, he'd be like pop locking. God gives us, when he adopts us, he gives us daughtership and sonship. Every other identity we have can be stripped away. Every identity we have can be stripped away. Let me say it one more time. Every identity we have can be stripped away except you are my daughter. You are my son. Hey, ladies, if you think you're worth a nickel, a guy will treat you like a penny. If you think you're worth a nickel, a guy will treat you like you're a penny. But when you realize that you are a daughter of the king, do you know who your daddy is? Let me just get San Antonio, Texas for a minute. Do you know who your daddy is? He has never slept. He knows the end from the beginning. He doesn't run out of energy and need to be plugged into the wall. He is eternal energy. He is the one who knows you. He is the one who loves you. He is the one who came up out of the grave. Do you know who your daddy is? You see, when you know who your daddy is, then you know who you are. And you won't let anybody treat you any kind of way because you've been treated by grace and love by the king. He gives you daughtership. Hey, dads, date your daughters. I've been dating mine since she was two. And remember, life is a marathon. There's seasons. And you look back and you go, man, that was a blip on the radar screen compared to how long life actually is. Hey, men, your son is going to learn how to treat a woman by the way you treat his mother. Do you honor her? Do you raise her up? I, I talked to my wife yesterday and I said, how was your day? She's like, I was doing laundry and I was doing all this other stuff. And I'm like, wow, you work full time at Transformation Church, do laundry. And, and she does the finances because I'm disorganized. Don't tell her what would happen to us. Now, I, I do all the investing and stuff, but she organizes it because who knows what would happen. But I was like, I was like, wow, what a great day you've had. Thank you. Husbands, was the last time you told your wife, thank you? Man, you're the best. You're awesome. When's the last time you told her, wow, you're stunning. You're beautiful. Or did she catch you ogling at magazine covers that are airbrushed? Yeah, you don't look like you used to look when you were 21 either. <laughs> Let me... Let me, let me see you having, have three or four kids and see how your body looks. Where'd your hair go? <laughs> my, my wife gave me permission to share this. Um, um, there are times where I will lay hands on her stretch marks and say, you are so beautiful. Thank you for bringing our children into the world. When's the last time you've done that, fellas? You, you do know that you can bring gifts to her on days that are not the days you're supposed to, right? <laughs> Some of you men work harder at your job than you do your marriage. There's a word for that. It's called idolatry, which is sin. Gentlemen, God gives us sonship. You have royalty running through your veins because you are a child of the king. It's not based on what you've done. It's based on everything that the king has done. Men, we have our own set of labels that we 
wear around thinking that that's going to give us value and significance. If you want to know where your label comes from, look at where you labor the hardest at. That will tell you where your labels are. And, and, and believe me, for preachers, this is just as bad. Oh, that church down the street got another campus. Oh, man, Transformation Church, we only have four campuses in five years. This church launched five campuses in one year. When you look to the left, you look to the right, you miss the blessings that are clearly in sight. Men, you are a son of the king. Your job does not define you. Your paychecks does not define you. Jesus defines you. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Can you go back one more for me? All right, we'll just go there. All right, go back, go back. One more. There we go. Boom. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Listen to the spirit of God. Don't listen to the other voices. Let's move on. Now we call him Abba, Father. God also gives us friendship. God gives us friendship, which allows us to become friends with enemies. So um, a couple years, well, ooh, it's a long time ago now. Holy cow. So 2001, I'm sitting in my office. I've been a Christian about four years. And I'm writing letters to family and friends about how great Jesus is. You need to give your life to Jesus. He'll change you. He's changed me. And I heard a voice. And I don't know if it's God's voice or my voice. I'm just telling you what I heard. I heard a voice that said, find your father. I stood up in my office with no one around me, and I began to cuss. Blankety blank, no. Blankety blank, no. Why should I find him? He abandoned me. He left me. Are you kidding me? Why would I find him? I'm a grown man now. I'm fine. That's why I'm in a room talking to no one going off because I'm okay. It continued. It continued. And it was like I sensed God like, you know how kids throw temper tantrum in Target? <laughs> I, I sensed since God just letting me roll around me, he like picks me up, puts me on a lap, puts my head against his chest to get in the rhythm of his heartbeat of grace. And I sensed God saying, well, Derwin, you do know you didn't deserve my son, Jesus, finding you, you didn't earn his love. You don't deserve his grace. But he came looking for you even before you called his name. He gave you grace and friendship so that you can go give grace and friendship to the one that hurt you so badly. Made some phone calls, found out my dad was incarcerated, and I wrote the hardest letter I've ever had to write. It was short. Dad, I want you to know I love you. I forgive you. I want you to be a part of our lives. You've got wonderful grandkids that need to know you, and we want you in our lives. That was it. A couple weeks went by. I'm getting caught. Uh, I got my coffee in my hand and I go to the mailbox and I'm looking through the mail and a letter from him. I immediately go inside, put my coffee down, go to my study because I don't want to see my family crying. I'm holding it back because I don't know what the letter is going to say. It may say, forget you, screw you. I had resolved that the father's love was enough, that God, the father's love was enough, regardless of what he's done. But it sure would be nice to hear. I love you, son, you know, but I don't know what he's going to say. Open the letter. And it said these words, son, thank you for forgiving me. I do want to be a part of your life. I do want to know my grandchildren. And then for the first time in my life, I heard my dad say these words. And I love you. And man, I just wept and wept and wept. Now, is our relationship perfect? No. But I'm no longer held hostage to the pain of my past. I'm no longer afraid of letting people get close because they may hurt me. 
That's the way of the cross, man. You can't truly love without truly being able to be hurt. The necessity of love opens up the possibility of being hurt. But it's better to be hurt loving than to be hurt because you don't want to love. Here's our soul tattoo. Let me go ahead and go past that. Thank you. Our soul tattoo, some, some, some homework. I, I want you to write God a letter thanking him for adopting you into his family. Maybe you want to use the sermon outline as a template. I promise you, if you do this, it will be very cathartic. It'll be very, very healing for you. As a matter of fact, put it on Facebook, put it on Tumblr, put it on Instagram. It, it is incredibly healing. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. But Papa, I thank you for the wonderful people of New Hope spread throughout this area of North Carolina. I want to pray that as your gospel has been preached, that perhaps there are some at all the campuses saying, uh, Pastor Derwin, I want to know this adopting love. I want to know forgiveness. I want to know how to move past the pain in my past. I want to know how to be forgiven. I want to know how to find purpose. All of those questions can be answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a life you could never live, which makes you acceptable to his father. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive your sin, to make you acceptable to his father. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to give you the very life of his father and to adopt you into the family of his father. Today is the day. Do not leave the campus you are at without bowing your knee to Jesus and saying, I accept your invitation to be adopted. In the silence of your heart, if that's you, and you're ready to, to be adopted, you're ready to receive love unending and life and a new beginning, right now in the silence of your heart, say this to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I accept the Father's invitation of adoption. I say yes to you. I believe you lived a perfect life because I couldn't. I believe you died the death I should have died on the cross to receive forgiveness. I believe it. I receive it. And I believe that on the third day you rose again from the dead and I receive this gift of life and your spirit. Thank you for adopting me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.
Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, just stop by one of our campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org and our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. Thanks for being a part of our church family and we hope you'll join us next week.